Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things in credit markets that caught our eye that we believe you should know about. And don't be alarmed. There's nothing frothy about this podcast. Let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, COVID has altered how we need to look at the credit cycle in the future. We'll tell you how. Two, if you don't think Bitcoin is relevant to credit markets, you'll want to pay attention to something we discovered this week. And three, one credit asset class taking off as investment funds issuing bonds. We'll talk to an active participant in the space to explain why. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Last week, we highlighted research from Deutsche Bank that suggested that the default cycle in corporate debt has become more muted than it has been historically, as governments are more likely to jump in and provide relief or stimulus when we head into an economic downturn. DB's thinking is that the great buildup in debt across personal, corporate, and government borrowers leaves governments with little choice. They either have to step in or face the consequences of a mass wave of selling and systemic levels of defaults soon after. We added to the discussion that self-interested politicians are strongly incentivized to avoid hard decisions, such as letting large firms fail, for fear that doing so will induce a credit-crunch-driven recession that would surely get them voted out of office. In other words, if you can run the printing press, you will. At our webinar this week, titled Credit in the Wake of COVID-19, Rich Tambor, Chief Risk Officer at the largest independent non-prime consumer lender in the country, One Main, suggested that, based on what happened in the pandemic downturn, credit analysts will now have to predict whether the downturn in the future is likely to be met with government support or not, because the outcome can be 180 degrees different. For Seinfeld fans, you'll recognize and remember this downturn as the bizarro downturn, where the opposite happens from everything history has taught us to expect. So, for instance, in this downturn, unemployment and jobless claims spiked to record levels, but consumer loan delinquencies actually went down. This outcome, of course, reflects the unprecedented and highly coordinated fiscal and monetary response, delivered in far greater size and speed than anyone predicted. So how did this happen? The short answer is, no one was to blame. It was not politicized. Bipartisan support from Congress quickly came together, and the Fed coordinated with Treasury to optimize the response. Contrast this with the global financial crisis, when there was a long list of targets to blame. To use one example, bailing out millionaire bankers not only delayed the government's response, but also resulted in a relief package that we now know was woefully deficient in terms of its size. One other consideration when sizing up a supported cycle or an unsupported cycle, and that's the sensitivity of rates and currency markets to a government's various support scenarios. Again, history really hadn't provided policymakers with a lot of relevant case studies on dealing with a global pandemic. But we now know that the U.S. can handle a lot, After all, stimulus equal to 45% of GDP has been injected or announced, and rates and currency markets have been, thus far, well-behaved. 
Whether you believe that is a function of American exceptionalism or simply that we are the cleanest shirt in the laundry is up to your own interpretation. Okay, on to our second thing, Bitcoin. So we came across a piece this week written by Victor Hagani of Solomon Brothers and long-term capital management fame, who is now the founder and CEO of money manager Elm Partners. The topic is Bitcoin. Now, we're really not all that interested in spending much time on Bitcoin. We see it as a byproduct of the times, created out of nothing but speculative fever. And more importantly, we really don't see how Bitcoin's gyrations affect credit markets. Then I read a short piece by Mr. Hagani and colleagues. The authors titled the piece, We're All Holders Now. Holders, spelled H-O-D-L-R, an acronym for Hold On For Dear Life, and defined in Investopedia as referring to buy and hold strategies in the context of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies recognizing the wild ride crypto investors experience. Who knew? What caught Mr. Hagani's attention was an interview he heard of a 28-year-old crypto whale who suggested that the nature of Bitcoin from an investment performance standpoint had changed as its value had skyrocketed from fringe darling of speculators uncorrelated to more traditional investing assets to something where the correlation to equities is, in the interviewer's words, robustly positive. Mr. Hagani's own research confirmed that view, noting that both the stock market and Bitcoin are being driven by some common forces. And in fact, as interest in Bitcoin has grown, it is behaving like a big, techie, super volatile stock. All right, we get it. Bitcoin and other cryptos now get a lot of press as they emerge from the shadows into a more visible asset class. And as something equal to 3% of the global equity market, you might want to have a view. But here's where it gets interesting from a credit standpoint. Mr. Hagani mentions that Bitcoin could be a canary in the coal mine of global risk markets. He points out that the dot-com and subprime mortgage bubbles at their respective peaks each amounted to roughly 4% of global equity value. Hmm. And unlike either one of those situations, Many cryptos fall outside of SEC oversight, something that new SEC chair Gary Gensler warned lawmakers of Thursday. Should cryptos lose their footing, anyone who lived through LTCM or the GFC knows how the dominoes can start to fall. Selling begets selling, liquidity dries up, contagion spreads throughout risk assets, including credit. Chilling. Now, to round out the discussion and to bring us back off the ledge, Mr. Kakani adds that one of the original interviewers of the crypto whale, Tracy Alloway of Bloomberg, mentions that crypto has no shortage of narratives that define it as something other than just Mr. Hagani's big, techie, super volatile stock. The flip side of that coin, sorry for the pun, is we all can agree that there are a lot of super-stretched valuations out there of risk assets. I guess we're all holders now. All right, on to our third thing, investment funds issuing debt. So I came across a fascinating headline last week in the FT. Banks are increasingly being supplanted as funders for mid-sized companies. 
Now, this comes as no surprise to listeners of the podcast, as we've spent quite a bit of time here talking about the rise and legitimacy of the shadow banking system, which is quickly maturing into a mainstream source of capital around the world. The growth of shadow banking really took off in the wake of the global financial crisis, driven by two forces at work. One, policymaker actions to intentionally drive riskier assets out of the traditional banking system. And two, investors were increasingly active in their search for yield in an ultra low interest rate environment. So an ecosystem quickly developed in this space where non-bank direct lenders, such as private equity and private debt firms, BDCs and other finance companies originated assets to portfolio or distribute to those yield hungry investors directly through the asset backed market in CMBS or CLOs or via investment funds. Now, many asset managers are getting their funds rated in order to issue debt off of the fund. Like water running downhill, corporate finance continues to evolve. So to give us an important perspective on investment funds getting rated, I'm joined by William Cox, Global Head of Corporate, Financial, and Government Ratings here at KBRA. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Van. Great to be here. So I can tell you, at least anecdotally, by the number of calls I get from investors, that fund-issued debt is a relatively new phenomenon. Tell me about it. You're correct, Van. We've seen a significant increase in ratings requests for transactions related to private debt funds. Not surprising, given the growth in the category. We have issued uh, many dozen of ratings just in the past couple of years. Terrific. So give me an idea as to who some of these asset managers are. Well, unfortunately, I can't give you too many names because most of these transactions are developed for and largely executed in the private market. But we have rated public transactions for the likes of KKR and Blackstone with published reports available on our website. And while these two transactions are not exactly uh, the same, they do mirror and describe some of the types of transactions we have had a chance to work on that are focused on private credit. Both of those transactions involve both private equity and private credit investment funds. Yeah, so why are asset managers uh, raising debt off of their funds? Well, we're seeing three types of transaction purposes. In the world of fund finance, we have rated subscription lines and other facilities for non-bank lenders, uh, and this is a relatively new phenomenon. Think non-bank lenders wanting access to the category and stepping in as providers of these types of facilities. A second area that is growing is related to ratings for uh, permanent leverage into private credit funds. And here it's the same idea, non-bank lenders looking to increase their exposure to the category and structuring notes uh, to provide permanent leverage to the uh, private debt funds. And third, we're seeing some GPs uh, leverage future flow of management fees, co-investments, and or carried interest from their broad complex of funds, including their private credit platforms, and using those future flows as collateral for transactions. All very interesting developments in a very dynamic environment. Got it. So, um, you know, back to our original premise here of investors looking for yieldier assets, Uh, and alternative asset managers, you know, seeking to find those uh, investors. It looks like the capital markets are doing what they are supposed to do. Uh, Where can either investors or asset managers find out more? Well, kbra.com is always a great 
place to start. You can find the research that I described previously, and, and you can also find our methodology for how we analyze this dynamic sector. And we're always happy also to talk in greater detail in person and feel free to reach out to me directly, uh, william.cox at kbra.com. Terrific. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thanks, man. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, when thinking through the implications of a downturn, assessing government support is a key risk element. Two, credit investors should always look for the presence of asset bubbles. In this cycle, that includes cryptocurrencies. It's worth keeping an eye on. And three, investment funds issuing bonds has really taken off. Check out our research on the topic to come up the curve. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you next week.